Good morning, Summit Church. Good to see you this morning. Everybody's looking good. So glad you can make it this morning. And I know you probably don't feel like you got enough sleep last night, and that's understandable. But we're glad you're here. You'll be looking at your clocks in about 30 minutes. There'll be some people float in. And when they do, don't say anything and don't look at them, okay? We all know. We all know what happened and just just ignore them, okay? Oh my goodness. Well, man, we I tell you what, we're just so excited about um, what's happening and I get looking forward to being in our new building soon and very soon. We will come see the King. And it was going to be a wonderful time when we get into that new building. It's uh, going to be great. And, um, and anyway, just thank you for all your help and, and um, prayers about that. And we'll talk a, bit, a little bit about that in just a minute, perhaps. But I don't know if you heard about the sixth grade teachers talking to her class and was trying to help them figure out how to do some arithmetic and think on their feet and everything. So she said to her class, she said, well, there was a wealthy man. He died and he had $10 million that he left. And one-fifth of the $10 million went to his wife, and one-fifth went to his son, and one-sixth went to his butler, and the rest went to charity. Now, class, what does each person get? And the class thought long and hard, and finally a little boy raised his hand, and she said, yes, son. He said, they all get a lawyer. They get a lawyer. That's what they get. <laughs> That's too hard to understand. <laughs> uh, so we're in this little series called To the Other Side, and last week we talked about six things that transition means. Six things that transition means. And let me just review that really quickly, and then we'll go on. Number one, we talked how transition means that I've outgrown what I've been accustomed to. We're all in and have been in, or and as a church, let me just say this corporately, we are in a time of transition. We're getting ready to transition actually even from a building to a, another building. We're going to stop camping and start really living uh, in our own little place, in a sense. And, and uh, so, so transition is something we're all going through corporately. Transition is some, something that some of you are going through personally. It means that you've started to walk into God's vision. It also means that you're getting ready to go into battle. It also means that, you, you, that where you've been is nothing compared to where you're going. It means that you're being introduced to God's wisdom. And transition finally means that God is with you. We all talked about that through the book of Joshua. We're going to go back to that in a few minutes, but i got to ask you a question before we begin. Have you ever been in a situation where you just felt like you wanted a little bit more? Uh, maybe you were at a concert and uh, you heard them playing and, and it was great and it seemed like they were done before you wanted them to be done. And so you just kept on clapping and yelling and yelling encore. And, or, or have you ever been to uh, perhaps a, a restaurant and you just didn't quite get enough to eat? Come on, somebody. I, I, I told my wife long ago, I said, it's not about quality for me. It's all about quantity, baby. It's all... <laughs> about quantity. Throw me the roll. Come on, give me the pass around. It's all about quantity. It seems like to me, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but to me, the more expensive the restaurant you go to, the smaller amount of food you get. Is it, <laughs> has that ever been like, you know, you spend a large amount of money for this little morsel of meat and then you have to go to McDonald's when you're done? It does not seem <laughs> right to me. I know growing up, I, as you heard me talk a little bit last week, grew up on a farm and my summer jobs were hauling hay. How many hay haulers have we ever had now? Look at this. Come on, somebody. Well, you don't really haul hay these days because you can't pick those things up. They're just so big and round. 
you have to have a tractor to really do that. But in our day, we had small little bales of hay. And um, so we would haul those things in, in the summertime. And it was hot. It was hard work. And uh, it was not for the faint of heart. And we would start early in the morning so we would not um, you know, have so much heat to deal with during the course of the day. And I always, I was 15, 16, I remember this so vividly, and it would be time for lunch. And listen, when you're a teenager and it's lunchtime, I mean, it's like, this is like heaven. You know, you're about to experience heaven. Uh, you're so hungry and so famished as I was. And so we, <laughs> we would take turns going to different homes of there was, three, there was three of us plus me, and they were all men, and so we all kind of worked each other's farms. And so whatever farm we were hauling hay for, we would eat at that person's house, and their wife would fix the meal. Well, there was one particular farm, when we went to eat at their house, it, when, when I went in, I was so hungry. We sat down, and they set, she sat down like a cereal bowl, uh, full of corn. There was a cereal bowl full of lima beans. There was a cereal bowl full of um, mashed potatoes and a little cup of gravy. And there was a little small-sized pork chop and, and, and some bread and butter. And, and I looked at that, and, and I was waiting for more to come. <laughs> because I, I could have eaten all that by myself. Seriously, I mean, all of that, I could have wiped that thing clean and still been hungry. And uh, I looked at that, and, and I realized this was it. This was all we were getting. And, uh, and so I said, well, I can't go first because I, I don't know how to portion this out, and there will be nothing left for all the other men. So I let them go first, and they all got their little food, and I had just a few little kernels of corn left and lima beans. And, and, uh, and I looked at that, and I thought to myself, this is going to be a hard day up in that barn in 110 degree degrees, that mellow barn hauling hay, and I'm famished. I'm so hungry. And 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 then this person said, after we got all done, she looked at the all, all the bowls were empty. Everything was empty. Everything there was nothing left. And she said, "Wow, it's amazing how I just seem to know how to fix just the right amount." Lord, come on, listen, if you, if you don't have leftovers, then it is, it's not a meal. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I never could communicate to that lady that, that that was not enough. You know, I just started stuffing candy bars and everything else I could into my, into my, into my pants when I went to that particular farm's house. Have you ever been where a place where you just wanted a little more? Yeah. Amen. Well, good transitions are actually precipitated by a hunger for more. You no longer are satisfied with where you're at. You long for something greater. You long for something deeper. You long for something that you've not even ever even touched or experienced before. I'm talking about walking with the Lord right now. Is there a hunger for more of, of God in your life? Is there a hunger for more power? Is there a hunger for more love? Is there a hunger for more generosity? Is there a hunger for more joy? 
Is there a hunger for more peace? Is there a hunger for more wisdom? Is there a hunger for more knowledge? Is there a hunger for more of his voice? Is there a hunger for a deeper revelation of who God is? Is there a hunger to experience the gifts of the Spirit operating within your life? Is there a hunger to prophesy? Is there a hunger to receive a word of knowledge and give it to somebody? Is there a hunger to receive a word of wisdom and give it to somebody? Is there a hunger to see somebody healed by the touch of your hand and the prayer of faith offered to this individual? Is there a hunger in your life? Because if there's not a hunger in your life, then you have, you've come to a place where really, can I just be honest? Can we just talk for a minute? My name is JP. I'm your friend. If, if there's not a deeper hunger for the Lord, then what you are now doing is you are in the verge of becoming a religious person. And the last thing you need and want to be is a religious person. In fact, Jesus, the people that he railed at the most were the religious people. He didn't rail against the unsaved and the, 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 the hurting and the, the people that were messed up. He railed against the people who had a form of religion but denied the power thereof. Is there a hunger within you that says, I need more of God. I am, I'm done with this little bowl of corn. I'm done with this little bowl of mashed potatoes. I'm done with this little portion of love. I'm done with this little portion of joy. I'm done with this little portion of power. I want to see God move in a greater dimension in my life. I need more. And my friend, you will not have a transition in the spiritual dimension unless it's precipitated by a deep-seated hunger. There must be more to God than this. You cannot reach the levels of God that he wants to bring you to in this lifetime. And the little touch of God that you have had is a thimble full of experience in God that you have available to you. There is a sea, an ocean filled with experiences in God waiting for you to walk in, in faith. And he said, if you will hunger and if you will thirst for righteousness, here's what's the promise, you will be filled. I want to live the rest of my days filled, filled with God filled with his anointing, filled with his spirit, filled with experiences of God moving through my life in supernatural ways. I want to be filled with stories of people who have been touched by something that God did through me and, and no credit to myself that only God could have done. I want to be filled with these kind of things. This is what I hunger for. Even last night in my prayer time, I just pray, God, I, I need more. I need more. Sometimes that needs to be a prayer. You need to pray. In fact, it needs to be a prayer. You pray consistently. God, I need more. God, stir within me a hunger. Listen, when, when you are dying, one of the first things that begins to happen is you lose your appetite. And when you lose your appetite for God, can I just say it like this? You are spiritually on your way out. There must be a fervent hunger for more of the Lord. It is said about Christopher Columbus that he was eaten up with this passion for more. More places to go. More places that he'd never been. He was consumed with this thought that there was passages to the Indies, to, 
there's passages to, to China and to the Asia area. There's passages that, that had to be found. And, and even though he had discovered America, he still believed that there was still a passage to Asia that had yet to be found. And, and so he longed for it. He set out on his fourth journey looking for this passage. He wasn't satisfied with just discovering what he'd already discovered. Even though Spain was, was, was enjoying the fruits of his discoveries, still inside of him, that wasn't enough. He wanted to find more. He wanted to see more. And they said that Christopher Columbus would literally get on the bridge of the ship. And he was one of the few navigators of his time that knew how to not to navigate just with the stars, but he knew how to navigate by using the sun as an element of, of determining location. And so he would stand on the bridge and he would squint. They didn't have sunglasses back in those days. He would stand there and he would squint and he would look and he would look and he would look and he'd peer, peer into the distance looking for something he hadn't seen yet, but he knew in his heart it was out there. And they, there was a particular time in that fourth journey that they were stuck like in the water for eight days. There was no wind. They were just sitting there still, not moving. And every day he was looking. He's out there. He's looking. Eight days. And finally, he, it got so bad that his, his eyes began to swell up and they began to bleed. His eyes were bleeding from squinting so much looking for something deeper. Until you eyes are bleeding, until your spiritual eyes are bleeding, until your spiritual eyes are swollen, then you, my friend, have not come to the place where you want more of God. And transition is going to be delayed. Transition comes when he finds a young person, a young man, a young woman, an old man, old woman, who still longs for more of God, whose eyes and his spirit are bleeding because they're squinting so hard to see something they've never seen before. Come on, somebody. Do you want to see some things you've never seen before? And you can. I can. I can. The background of our story when we were talking about the book of Joshua, it was the first generation of Hebrews that had come out of Egypt, out of captivity. You know the story well, Red Sea parts. And Israel had been at the banks of the Jordan before. Where, before this time where we're talking about where Joshua's at with them, there had been a generation before Joshua that had come to the banks of the Jordan. It was Joshua's perhaps parents. It was Joshua's aunt and uncle, perhaps Joshua's grandparents that had been to this place before, 40 years earlier. When they came out of Egypt, what should have been an 11-day march into the promised land turned into a 40-year mess. And they found themselves wandering in a wilderness, in a desert place for 40 years until, can I say quite frankly, until God said, uh, until y'all die, we'll, and I can move on. God was, they were just living life. You talk about people just going through the motions of life. That was that generation because they had missed an opportunity that God had given them. Because, can I say it like this? They did not want more. They just wanted to get out of captivity. They wanted to get out of the mess, but they didn't have enough faith and desire to have all that God had for them. They just wanted out of their mess out of their conflict, out of their, out of their slavery. And God had to wait for an entire generation to pass 
before he can move on with his plan of redemption eventually for mankind. So they say, perhaps they, the numbers vary, and people, we don't know how many Israelites there were that came out of Egypt. Some say two and a half million, some say three million. But let's go with three million. I put the pencil to it. Three million people, 40 years, and that means an estimated 205 people were dying every day. Old people, young people, middle-aged people. And guess what? They weren't dying of sickness and disease because God was taking care of them. They just weren't waking up. They just were dying. It was like a 40-year funeral march. It was like every day people would say, did you hear so-and-so didn't wake up this morning? Are you kidding me? Oh, did you hear Aunt? And Susie, she, she didn't make it through the night. Uncle Joe didn't make it last week. I mean, they're, they're going left and right. They're dying left and right. Left and right, left and right. They're left. They're, there's graveyards all over the wilderness. And every gravestone was a signal and a sign that that was a person that didn't have the faith to make a transition, to go to somewhere that would never been before and believe that God could do a miracle and a miracle is waiting on the other side. It was a wilderness filled with testimonies of unbelief. So the question we have to ask ourselves, if God's given me and bringing me to the brinks of a transition, do I have the faith to go in? And do I really know what I'm going into? So you go, well, yeah, I'm going into, we're going into a nice little building. That's going to be nice. Okay. Beyond the building. Do you know uh, the church isn't a building? The church is us. We're the church. Blow the building down. Put a tornado on it. We've experienced it. You don't have, a, but you still got a church. So the question is, what is the transition God's asking us as a people to do? And to make. Are we at the place God wants us to be? Are, are we able to really move into that place of impact that God's calling us to make and, and, and be in our, in, our, in our time that we have on this earth? Because God is waiting for a generation who are tired of just wondering. He's, 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 he's looking for a generation who are tired of living in tents, who, who want an address, who want a field, who want a property, who want a city, who want to, a place to call home, a people who've learned from their parents' mistakes, a, a people who've allowed faith to become larger than their parents' doubt. God's looking for a church. Can I put it like this? God's looking for a church, a body of believers that are willing to step into another dimension, amen, and go further than and the other people have gone before them. Praise God for those that have gone before, but God wants more. Transition, by definition, means this, a passage from one place to another. Stepping out from one thing into another thing. Stepping, as we talked about last week, leaving one room and stepping into another room. It means that there's been a transition take place. As Pastor Kent mentioned this past Wednesday night, he did a phenomenal job talking about transition again. But I'll go a little bit deeper, but, but ball games, athletes understand the importance of transition. 
that you can win or lose a ball game by, by transitions, by what you do or don't do in a transition. My kids all grew up playing basketball, partly because, um, mainly because their mother played basketball, <laughs> going to, and went to college playing basketball. Of course, I love sports as well. But I don't know all the ins and outs of basketball like my wife does. And so we'll be in the stands, and her watching the game and me watching the game are two different things. We're watching the same game, but I'm seeing one thing, she's seeing another. And I'm reacting to one thing, she's reacting to another. Case in point, I mean, this happened every single game that our kids played. I would be in the stand, one of our kids or just one of the players on the team would make this incredible shot. And the shot would go in, and I'd jump up and go, yeah, right, woo, and I'd be high-fiving the person next to me. And my wife would be yelling, get back, get back, get back. I'm like, come on, celebrate the point. Have, that was a great shot. And I, while I'm looking at the point, She's looking at the next play because there's no defense and they got a cherry picker back there waiting for a long pass to be made to him for an easy layup. I'm celebrating this and she's looking at that. I'm looking at this and she's looking at transition. Let me tell you something, just because you're enjoying life at the moment doesn't mean that there's not a transition for you to make. If you don't handle the transition, you're going to lose the game. How will Israel make transition from Moses to Joshua, from sleeping in tents to now sleeping in their own homes, from, from wandering in a wilderness to living in a promised land filled with milk and honey, from, from manna to making food for themselves? How will they handle this? Well, this is where we're at, this passage Joshua chapter 1. Again, let's read this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Everybody say that with me. Moses, my servant, is dead. And now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. To the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Mm. And no one will be able to stand against you. Can I just say that there are things that stand against you? Uh, there, he didn't say that there will be no one in the promised land. He said, you're going to go into the promised land, and what's already in there is not going to be able to stand against you. That's what he was saying. Can, let me just put it like this. Even in our own church, even in, as a summit church, even building a building in the natural, which I believe is going to be a beachhead in the spiritual, even that has had its challenges. Can somebody say amen? amen. <laughs> what I thought was going to be an 11-day journey has turned into a 40-year, come on, <laughs> building process. <laughs> but I do believe it's partially because I don't believe, you know, I believe the devil, let me just say this, I believe the devil gets blamed for a lot of things he's never even thought of doing. But in this matter, I think there's been a ploy on behalf of darkness to hinder us. I mean, I mean, it's like crazy stuff. 
like a tornado blowing off the end of your building. I mean, we pro- our building was probably the most damaged building, or if not one of the top five in all of this area when, in the hurricane. Ours. Yours. <laughs> I, it's like every time we turn around, there's something. We have some incredible people have donated granite to us. Granite, Paradise Granite. If you need granite, you need to go there. They don't, but even getting the granite countertops off the trailer yesterday, all fabricated, all new, half of them fell over and, and broke in half. Like seriously? How, who do, how does this happen? You know, floors, you know, quite not the way we ask. It's just crazy stuff. And so, so here's what we're going to do this morning. You know, I, I've just laughed at it now. I'm just like, oh, you think, Satan, you really think that's, you, you think a countertop's going to stop the church, really? You Seriously? You think we're that dumb? That's not, that's not going to happen. So, so I want us to do something right now. I, this is kind of unorthodox. I just want us to just pray together uh, because I think we, there's times, there's times where you just, you realize, okay, we need to stand against this. So I, I'm going to leave us in a prayer for a moment. If you would just agree with me in prayer. In fact, why don't you do this? I mean, the, uh, we're going to like launch our faith, send our faith, if you would. Uh, and the building is south of us, so it would be that way. And so if you could just extend your hand that way, would you do that? And let's just pray. Father God, right now, in Jesus' name, we send, Lord, a word of protection over this building. And Satan, we declare right now, in Jesus' name, that whatever plans and strategies you have of discouraging your people and uh, the builders and, the, and, 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 and us as your body, and whatever those plans are, in Jesus' name, we declare they're null and void and they have no more authority and power over this church. We thank you, Father God, that you are allowing us to conquer and overcome all that comes against us. And we thank you for the pressure. We welcome the pressure. And Lord God, we walk above the pressure now, and we look forward to what you have in store for us. And we seal this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you for that. I really believe God's going to... Yeah, come on, let's do that. Let's give God some praise for that. Amen. Amen. So he says, no one's going to be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And then the Lord says to Joshua chapter 3, 7 and 8, today I'm going to begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel so they may know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. So tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. So really quickly this morning, how do I make a successful transition? How do I make a successful transition? Number one, those taking notes, you stop dwelling in the past. After the death of Moses, chapter one, verse one, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. I don't believe it's an accident that the beginning of Joshua's purpose began with the death of something he loved. How many times, though, have we lost something and we're absolutely paralyzed 
by what we've lost. Come on. Don't shout me down. Let me say it one more time. Y'all too busy looking at me while picking up a bucket. How many times are we paralyzed from moving forward because we're concentrating on something we've lost? So how does that all go down? Moses is a guy that was constantly going up to a mountain. If you look at his life, the dude was a mountain climber. I mean, he, he was not only a prophet and a deliverer, but he was a mountain climber. And forever and a day, God was saying, come on up. <laughs> if I'd be like Moses, I'd be like, how about you come on down? I mean, let's this, this just change the story for a minute. You know, this is, I'm getting worn out. And every time he goes up, he's up there for, you know, a long time. I like typically 40 days is, was his adventure. Of course, it would be amazing to be up there because he met God. But what about Joshua, his aide, his, his second guy, his, the guy that was taking care of the, the stuff while he's up there having a gloriful, glorious experience? So Moses comes to him and says, uh, Josh, look, I got to, God wants me to come up and talk to him. Really? Yeah, so you need to take care of everything. And um, I'm going up there at Mount Pisgah and I'll, we'll see what, what's going on. All right. We'll take care. He gives him a hug. Enjoy your conversation with God. Tell him I said hi. <laughs> and so Josh takes his seat, probably at the seat of his, right there where he uh, is camped out at, at his tent. And he pulls out his trusty... <laughs> I got to figure out how to do this one. <laughs> his there it is. He pulls out his trusty pocket knife, as he's accustomed to doing, because Moses always is taking his time up on a mountain. And so, jo so jo Joshua is, is just kind of doing what he does, waiting for his boss and the deliverer and the great man of God to come back. Probably wondering, what's he going to bring back this time? He brought back, he's brought back tablets, you know. He's brought back plans for a tabernacle. This guy is amazing. I mean, he's, God's always giving him something to come back. I wonder what it's going to be this time. He's waiting, he's waiting. One day turns into two, and two turns into three. We don't know how long Moses was up there, but no doubt he was up there quite a long time and was no big deal to Joshua. It's probably been now over 40 days. Still no Still no Moses. And Joshua's getting a little nervous because Moses haven't been, he's never, now this isn't in your Bible, okay? If you're like trying to find this in your Bible, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> but, but go along with me from this, okay? I got a knife in my hand, so just go with it. <laughs> I will cut you. <laughs> and so he's probably, so it's after 40 days. It's been, it's been, it's been, it's 40, and he's starting to get nervous. And he's, He's like, what should I do? Should I go check on him? Is he okay? Did he fall? Is he hurting himself? He's probably pondering these things. Maybe a guy walks by about that time. Josh, what's up? Oh, not much. You look a little anxious. Yeah, a little. Why are you anxious? Well, you know, Moses is gone. He's been up there more than 40 days now. I, no sign of him. I don't know quite what to do. Hmm. knowing how God does things because he doesn't always do things really weird. He's like more does things supernaturally, naturally. 
Perhaps it was a man that looked like a man in the form of God. He came to him and said, uh, can I sit down here with you, Josh, while you whittle away on whatever you're making? Yeah. Josh, let me tell you something. I got a word from, from God for you, boss. Yeah? What's that? Lord told me to tell you that Moses is dead. He's gone. God took him. He's not coming back. Perhaps in this conversation, again, we don't know if this is how it played out. We know that God spoke to Joshua. Something warm perhaps took place in his heart and he realized this was the truth. His mind flashes back to when Moses laid his hands on him and blessed him and told him that he would be the next in line. Suddenly it all began to make sense. Maybe why Moses said what he said before he left him. And God says to Joshua, look son, you got to know. It's now the past is the past. Moses is dead. He's not coming back. You're the man. Sometimes in our life, it's hard for us to comprehend that the past is the past, isn't it? I think probably one of the greatest difficulties of walking with Christ is that acknowledgement itself that the blood of Christ through a prayer can literally wash away all of my sins and that my past is the past, that I don't have a past. I just have a future in him. See, Joshua could not move forward until he acknowledged that the past was the past, that the past was dead, that it passed it was gone. The old man is dead. The past is behind me. The old lifestyle is gone. The old ministry that I had is in the past. My failures as a teenager, as a single, as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as an employee, all those failures are gone. They're, they're in the past. And that which led you into the desert will no longer lead you into your promise. You got to acknowledge that your past is there, but now where God has you is now a whole other game. You have now stepped onto to the transition strip uh, and you are now to go into another room that you haven't been in before but it all begins when you acknowledge the fact that what's there is there and it has nothing to do with where I'm going now. Yeah. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Who, who's him? Jesus. Why did the body of sin might be destroyed? And so henceforth we will not serve sin. This is one of the hardest things that you will have to go through is acknowledging that your past is your past. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't judge me on my past. Come on. Turn to your, another, turn to your other neighbor and tell him the same thing. Don't judge me on my past. I'm not the same homeboy that you used to know. Come on. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. I'm a child of a living God. Amen. You haven't seen nothing yet, baby. You know, runners run races all the time. And they've done research on races and runners. 99% of runners, 99, that's pretty much all. Sometime during the race, 
They look over their shoulder while they're running. You're told if you're being coached in running, when you run, don't ever look over your shoulder. Not only does it cost you time, but it also does something even bigger in your mind. Because what you're now looking at is you're not running in faith, but you're actually running now in fear. You're fearful that something's going to overcome you that's behind you. Come on, somebody. You're fearful that there's something in your past, come on, that you think is going to look, get ahead of you. And so you look over to see if something is going to catch you. And what, the moment you do that, what happens is you're no longer running to win. You're running to avoid losing. And there's a big difference in that run. If you're running to win, you don't care what's behind you. Because in Christ, uh, all things are passed away. And behold, all things are made new. You're looking to win. You're not looking to maybe make it. You're looking to win. And so you have to acknowledge that Moses is dead. Moses is dead. And Joshua, you're about to make a big transition. Which leads us to point number two. You have to own the moment. Own the moment. What do you mean? Well, we have no recollection that anyone heard God speak to Joshua. It wasn't like when Jesus was baptized and everybody heard the voice of God. It wasn't like other times where God came and everybody heard the voice of God. It's just Joshua having a conversation with God. Maybe it was an angel. Maybe it was the voice of God. We don't know. But God has this conversation with Joshua and no, and no one else knows that. There was no sign from heaven that, that, that Joshua had heard from God. None of the Levites had heard from God. No one's encouraging him to step up into the limelight. It, it's just Joshua hears from God that he's now the man. And so Joshua has to make a decision Am I going to step up to the plate for the calling that God has now placed on my life? Or am I going to keep sitting here hoping for something that's not going to happen to happen? Or it, 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 could it really be? Could it really be that this is the moment? Could it really be, as Esther, that this really is the time, the season that God has prepared for me? Could it really be that I am the next tool, the next voice, uh, the next person, the next move that God wants to use in the earth? Could it really, could I really be this person? He had, he had to take ownership of that moment. In verse th 7 of chapter 3, he says, that's why God told Joshua, today I will exalt you in the eyes of all the people because as far as all the people were concerned, Joshua may, could be the man, maybe not. We don't know. But God goes, I'll let everybody know you're the man. I'll, I'll, I'll separate the floodwaters. Everybody will be convinced then you're the man. But Joshua had to... Walk in the role of a leader before he had any proof he was a leader. You, you can't be a leader in the kingdom of God expecting God to do something to, to affirm your leadership. You've got to step out and say, I'm, I'm the leader. I'm going to do this. I, don't, I, 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 I feel God's hands on me. I feel I'm equipped to witness to my co-laborer, my, co my neighbor, my people, my community, people I work with. I feel God's equipped me to talk to my spouse, talk to my kids. God's equipped me to go back into my relatives and talk to some of those people I used to run with. I, I believe I'm equipped to be called of God and called with a word from the Lord. I, I believe God's hands upon me. 
And he was giving orders and acting as a leader before he was ever legitimized as a leader. And there are times when you have to step up to the plate and just take charge. And quit waiting for someone else to affirm you and to, to say, yeah, you're a leader before you become a leader. No, you got to go do something. You got to hear God and you have to do it. And lastly, it will be done. Number three, you have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, baby. I just said that. I truly said that. You got to become uncomfortable. And you got to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that I can find, God says, my goal for you is for you, thus my servant, to become most comfortableth. <laughs> no, no, in fact, what I read is totally opposite of that. Abraham, you comfortable? Yeah, I think I'm comfortable. Okay, get up and leave your family. What do you mean leave them? I'm talking about get up and leave them. Go. Get a U-Haul truck and get out. And leave your family, your, your, your mother, your, your, your home folk. Get up and get out. Well, where am I going to go? I don't know. We'll figure this out on the way. Well, he knew, of course. God knew it. You got to take steps where you're uncomfortable. Esther, I need you to go and take a risk and go into the king's presence. Even though you've not been called on, I, I need you to jump in there. I need, you to, I need you to get, but I'm not comfortable doing that. I didn't ask you if you were comfortable. Has God ever asked you if you were comfortable? I'm just asking, because if, if he's ever asked you, I'd like to have a conversation with you after, because I've known the Lord for 50 years. Some of you are like, seriously? And God has never asked me if I was comfortable. Elisha, leave your farm, leave your family. I know you're about to inherit your dad's farm, but I want you to get up and leave it. I want to do what? I, just, I want you to follow Elijah and just wash his feet and cook him dinner and, and go wherever he goes. Well, he, don't, he, 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 he sleeps in caves and stuff. Well, go, go. That's not comfortable. I didn't ask you if you're comfortable. Disciples, Jesus comes to the people that will one day be their disciples. His disciples, he says, hey, I need you to leave your business. I need you to follow me. Well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Well, then don't follow me. He would say to the early church, uh, they're crying out, uh, we're being persecuted. He's like, get up, go into the world. There's a reason why you're not comfortable. It's because I'm allowing it, because I don't want you stuck in this little town called Jerusalem. I need the world to hear what I've done. Never do I find in the scripture God saying, I'm here to make you comfortable. And you, my friend, if you're going to follow after Christ, you got to be okay with that. I was in Peru, my first missionary journey. I was a young man, and we went to the heart of Peru. And it was, Peru was a devastated country at that time. It was, it was way down on the list of the, one of the most poorest countries in the world. And we went into the poorest parts of Peru. Culture shock I was past culture shock. I was beyond that. I was in culture death. I, I was like past shock. 
I was like in a place I'd never been before, even though I'd been warned about this. And a couple weeks into our journey, and we're now in deep in the Andes Mountains, and, and uh, we're Andes Mountains, I think it's right, right? Andes Mountains down there? One of those mountain ranges. And we're deep, deep down in there, and we're in the middle of this jungle place, mountains, jungle, and, and there is no electricity, no running water. We're, there, we're, the, the people have huts and thatch, things you would see in National Geographic, things like that. That's where I'm at. And I'm like, I, I wasn't expecting, I just thought about just telling people about Jesus and loving on them and playing soccer was what I, I didn't know. I was, and after, after several weeks of this, I was, I was like done. I was done. I was done with plantains. I was done with dirty water. I was done with dirt floors. I was done with pigs running through my room at night. I was done with chickens having fights under my bed. I was done not understanding the language. I was done with being sweaty and hot all the time. I was done with not having a bath for days and days. I was done with dust just caked on my body. I was done. And we, the, this pastor and his wife and his daughter wanted to have a little meal for us. Amanda, you might want to come because I need to probably shut this. So, uh, so I, I said, we said, okay. So they want to have a meal for us before we got ready to leave. It was a dirt floor, thatched roof, a w- wooden poles for a, a, a wooden table, a, like a log that had been cut in half for a bench to sit on. And we're sitting there, and they gave us a little bowl of soup with a chicken, little piece of chicken in it, and. And that was it. And we'd been boiling our water, and it was water was terrible. And 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 they gave us fried plantains, and that's that was all they ate, plantains, it was like mashed potatoes here, is a plantain. And so we're, I mean, and, and so I'm I'm like, I actually out loud, I and the pastor's looking at me. Of course, I, they didn't know English. The his wife's looking at me, and the, the daughters they're looking to see if we approve approve of it and everything. They're just kind of looking at it because they fixed it the best they have for me, and they're kind of looking. And and, and as a stupid, proud person that was a moron, I, I, I smiled and and I said, "Man, this is the worst chicken soup I've ever had in my life." <laughs> and they went, "See, see, see, see." And the the, the leader of the group. He was an older fellow. He got so angry at me, and he began to sing a song. He said, where he leads me, I will follow. What they feed me, I will swallow. (laughs) He raised his eyebrows like that, and I got the message really quick. I'll never forget that little moment, because what I was going through wasn't very comfortable. Hmm. And two or three weeks later, we got finally back to the States. They came to the church that one morning and our team leader said, JP, I, share, I need to share something. I said, what's that? So you remember that hut where you were having a problem with their soup and the plantains? I said, yes, sir. I'm thinking, my gosh, he's going to bring this up again. He said, well, remember that young lady, the pastor's daughter, the teenager that was looking at you and kind of watching your expression, looking for, to make you and us happy? I said, yes, I remember her. He said, she's dead. I said, what? 
Yeah, she went down to the Swollen River to get water a couple days ago and got swept away and drowned. And the last thing, and then he just kind of walked away. I was like, what? The last memory I have with this young lady that loved Jesus with all of her heart and just wanted to make us happy was complaining and whining because I wasn't comfortable. What happened, I, what had happened was I had, I'd lost sight of the fact that my comfort was never ever the goal. The goal is for me to share Christ with as many people as I can possibly share in whatever conditions I find myself in. That is the goal. Comfort is never the goal. Not the goal for your life, not the goal for my life, but to pour into as many people as I can with the time I have left. That's the goal. My prayer teams to come and stand in the front this morning. The question I have for some of you is this today. If, I got, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, I'd appreciate that for just a second. Talking about transition, perhaps there's somebody here that would say, you know, I do believe there's more. And as I've said here this morning, I do feel somewhat empty and I feel dry and I feel that my purpose is not complete. There, got, there has to be something more. Can I just say to you, my friend, there is, and that more starts with Jesus Christ. That more starts with a relationship where you say, oh God, forgive me, and I surrender my life to you, and oh God, use me for the days that I have left. It's called surrender. It's called being born again. If you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, today that's me. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, just like you and others in this room. I want to become born again right where you are. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray for me right where I'm at? Just raise your hand. I want to receive Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. Amen. Anybody else? Come on, some more people. Yes, come on. Yes, yes. Thank you, Lord. I want to know Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want us to pray this prayer. Perhaps you know you should have said that. Raise your hand. But I want to pray, lead you in a prayer. Would you just pray this prayer? In fact, can we all pray this together? Would you say this, Lord Jesus? Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and take over. I give you full control. Thank you for hearing my prayer, forgiving me of my sins, and receiving me into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I asked this question again with eyes 
closed and heads bowed. You're facing transition even right now. But one of the things that's happening is the the past really haunts you. I mean, it comes up at these weird times and you remember, you get these flashbacks of things you're embarrassed and you're ashamed of. And, and it saps the confidence within you that, that truly you're forgiven and that, that God has a plan for you. And you don't feel up to the challenge and you've been perhaps complaining a little bit too much lately, been murmuring a little bit and contentment has not been your strong suit. If that's you this morning, any of those things that would probably hit you, I want you to right where you're at, stand with me to your feet. Would you do that? Come on, amen. Yeah, all across the room. Yeah. Come on, who else? The past has been haunting me. Don't feel up to the challenge. Haven't owned the moment. Been complaining a little bit too much. Expecting God to make me comfortable. Amen. I appreciate your honesty so much, your integrity. I want to pray for you right now. Father God, for those that have stood and they've said, Lord, I want to make a transition. I I thank you that you're bringing me to another place. I I thank you for that, Lord. And, And Lord, these that are standing with me today, Lord, we cry out to you. We say, oh God, thank you for forgiving us of our past. And and Satan, in the name of Jesus, we declare that our past is washed away. It has no place in our life anymore. We declare that we are washed and we are a new creation. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have put your hand on us so clearly. And we sense that, Lord. And and there's striving inside of us for more of you. We got to have more. We, we want more. I got to have more. Father, I, I thank you that you're putting that within us. I pray, Lord God, that you'll stir that up within all of us, that we will not be content, we'll not be comfortable being comfortable. The Lord, we will stretch out and, and we will, Lord, step into what you've called us to. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. We receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we all stand to our feet this morning? Can we give Jesus a praise this morning? Can we just just say thank you, Father? He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. Transition's coming. It's coming to your house. It's coming to your life. It's coming to this house. It's coming. It's happening. It's right here. It's on our doorstep. We're going to walk into it with incredible courage, incredible faith. We have some amazing prayer partners here. And Patrick will explain it too, but man, don't leave here without one thing, letting us pray with you, agreeing together. We truly believe here at Summit that if any two are gathered together, agreeing and touching any one thing, that God hears. And so we're asking you, man, please don't don't walk this thing out just alone. We have people that want to pray and agree with you. Amen. Patrick, would you come and close us out this morning? Come on. Can we thank Pastor JP for that word today? It was amazing, right? Amen.
Hey, bef- before you go, just want to set, remind you very quickly, if this is your first time here, we'd love for you to fill out this Connect card. It looks just like this. should be on a seat just around you, and we'd love to connect with you and, and uh, just to get to know you and meet you. And you can just fill this out, put it in our giving boxes as you leave today. You can't miss those, those big black boxes as you leave. Just put it right in there. And if you gave your life to Jesus today, there is a place that you can just check that off and, and, and let us know about that. Again, you can put that in the giving boxes. We'd love to send you resources and, uh, and help you along your journey. Amen. Well, hey, let me pray for you very quickly, and then we'll go. We'll say the blessings together. Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for each and every individual that's here today. And God, I pray that you'd be with us this week in our comings and our going, that your spirit would be with us, in us, and around us, that your favor would be with us as we go to work or school, whatever it may be. Bless us in our coming and our going, that you'd bring us here next week safe and sound. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, everybody said. Come on, let's say this blessing together. Say it with me. Say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.